you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we're going to continue looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning, which is a passage of Scripture that's all about killing sin for the glory of Christ. This letter from start to finish is totally focused on revealing to us the supremacy and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and applying those glorious truths to our lives. We have seen that every single week. Jesus is the one who rules, who rules over creation, the church, redemption and all things. He is the one through whom sinners like you and I can find all the forgiveness, salvation, peace, wisdom, righteousness, victory, and life that God has to give. He is the one in whom we are all made full and complete, lacking in nothing. He is the one who is the very fullness of God. This is who Jesus is. We've seen it all the way through chapters 1 and 2 of this letter. Jesus possesses a supreme and sufficient glory. That in all things He might be preeminent. Christianity is Christ. Our life is Christ. The issue is then, how ought we to live? If Christ is to be preeminent over all things, then how do we live in such a way that demonstrates and magnifies Christ's preeminence and worth? That's what chapters 3 and 4 of this letter are all about. They're about how to live in light of Christ's supremacy and sufficiency. Paul began that instruction back in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3, if you remember, where he told us that because Christ is above all, we ought to focus our will, our minds, and our hearts on Christ above all. We ought to love Him supremely. We ought to seek Him consistently. We ought to serve Him fervently. We ought to attempt great things for Christ And live out the new life that He's given us because He is worthy. The only problem is, we don't do that. (laughs) As Paul writes in Romans 7, 22-23, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. The law of sin. See, as much as we as believers, as those who have been redeemed in Christ Jesus to live for the glory of God, as much as we want to exalt and proclaim and testify of Christ's glory, worth, and lordship over all, we still have the presence of sin living within us in our unredeemed flesh. Just like Lazarus in John 11 that we looked at last week, even though we've been given a new life in Christ, we're still wrapped in the old grave clothes of our old fallenness. A fallenness that still seeks to put ourselves upon the throne of our lives rather than Christ. And what Paul is showing us here in Colossians 3, 5-11 through 11, is that one of the most fundamental ways we live for the glory of God is not always, and mostly not, and absolutely not, living perfectly. No. We live for the glory of God by killing those old pretenders. By waging war. Taking off those old grave clothes and fighting the remnants of that old fallenness with all the resources that are ours in Christ. We glorify God, not by living perfectly, because none of us can. We live for the glory of God by living repentantly with the resources that are ours in Christ. By turning to sin and turning to Jesus. It's killing sin so that the life of Christ might be seen in us. That's how we glorify Him in this world. Now this entails struggle. 
and fighting, warfare, and battle. Paul shows us here that there are three areas in our lives in which we are to kill sin. First, there are sinful desires found within you that you must put to death for the glory of Christ. That was in verses 5-7, through which we looked at last week. Because there is glory and victory in Jesus as we saw at the end of verse 4. And because by faith we are in Him who is the triumphant One, you and I must therefore put to death what is earthly in you. We must put to death those sinful desires that seek to put self rather than our Savior on the throne of our hearts. We must put them to death with all the spiritual resources that are ours in Christ so that the world would know that we no longer live in them under God's wrath, but rather we live in Christ unto God's glory. Therefore, we must put to death sinful desires that are found within us. But there are two other areas of our lives in which we are to kill sin. Not only are there sinful desires found within you, but second, there is sinful disgust towards those around you that you must put to death. That's in verse 8. And then finally, there are sinful deceptions spread among you in the body of Christ that you must put to death also. That's in verses 9 through 11. So if we are to be killing sin for the glory of Christ, then we must be putting to death sinful desires found within us, sinful disgust towards those around us, and sinful deceptions spread among us. This is how we show that Christ is our life, by killing sin by and for Him. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the Word of God whose commandment makes us wiser than our enemies, for it is always with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Father, that it not only shows us the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ, but then it sheds its light upon our own lives, becomes a mirror for our own souls, so that we could examine ourselves and know, how can I greater live for this, my Savior? Father, I pray that you, would, that you would do your work. You know what is in man. Your word pierces. 
to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Do that this morning, that we might serve Christ from the very depth of our being and magnify and shine out His life from the inside out to a watching world that desperately must see His life and His saving glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul says that you must put to death sinful desires within you because you are in Christ and under grace, not under sin and or not in sin and under wrath, he then says second that you must put to death sinful disgust around you. That is in verse 8. Paul writes this, "But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He starts off by saying, but now. In other words, now that you no longer live in those earthly things that you were once marked by, now that you live in Christ and you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Him, now that you have all the spiritual resources of the church in Jesus, you must do battle for the glory of Christ in your life. You must put to death what is earthly in you. Now, he says, you must put them all away. This is your approach, believer, that you are to have towards sin in your life. You must put them all away. All away. There are no sins that we are to say, well, I'll get rid of this issue later. I'll keep this pet sin for a while while I deal with the other issues of my life. Paul says, no. You put them all away. Cast them off like the dirty, filthy grave clothes that they are. They have no part to play in your life anymore. Romans 13, 11-13 says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For the salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off these works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy. In other words, you must put them all away. But verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts and its desires. Kill sin for Christ. Put them all away. Paul gives us here another list of sins that steal glory from Christ when a believer holds on to it in their life. He gives another list of sins that we as Christians need to kill. A list of five sins that believers might be tempted to think are respectable sins that I can hold on to a while longer. They are anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And just like last week, I want you to see the connection between these sins. They are all related to sinful speech that arises from hidden disgust that you have towards those around you. 
And so this list of sins flows actually in the opposite directions as the ones that we saw in verse 5. In verse 5, if you remember, Paul progresses from the outward actions to the inner motive. He starts with sexual immorality and he drives right back to idolatry. Well, here in verse 8, Paul reverses that flow and he begins at the source, at the sin of the heart, and progresses outward from there, showing how that sin of the heart eventually shows itself in various ways through sinful speech. And really, this verse is a careful dissection of what Jesus said in Luke 6.45 when He taught, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're having a problem with your speech, believer, towards or around others, Paul says that it's because there's a problem in your heart. There's a sin that you haven't put away. And most likely, it's the sin of anger. Anger, that's arge in the Greek. It means an inner hostility. It means a simmering hatred. The word describes that festering anger, agitation, and frustration that can often simmer just underneath the surface of our lives towards others and towards God. Again, sinful anger, just like every other sin, is rooted, as we saw in verse 5, back in idolatry of worshiping ourselves and what we want rather than worshiping God and what He has willed. As James writes in James 4, 1-2, 1-3, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it all on your passions. Notice, what is the root of all that hostility? All that anger? The answer is selfishness. Being passionate about what we want. Coveting for what we desire. Getting angry. (coughs) Excuse me. And disgusted. When we do not get what we want. Sinful anger is caused by life and a heart that is centered on pursuing your own passion and your own will, not on God. That's idolatry. And when you don't get what you want, what happens? Either when you don't get what you want out of other people, or you don't get what you want from God in terms of your life circumstances, what happens? You get agitated, right? You get frustrated. You get disgusted. You get angry. And such heated agitation simmering beneath the, 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 the outskirts of your life, simmering beneath your, your life, cannot stay hidden. That sinful anger will always show itself, Paul says next, in wrath. In wrath. And this... It's talking about that sudden lashing out response that anger produces. The Greeks describe this word as what happens when you would light straw on fire, right? It whooshes up in flames in sudden intense heat and fire. That's wrath. Okay, so get that picture in your mind. So here you have a picture of a person whose heart is riddled with silent irritation, with secret frustration, with hidden agitation over not getting what they want, over fighting 
over what God has decreed. And so what happens? At the slightest provocation, they blow up, right? They lose it. All that pent-up anger just explodes out of them. Now they will blame it on their circumstances, right? But where is it really coming from? All that wrath is coming from a heart of stewing disgust and anger towards others and ultimately towards God. Over again, not getting, thank you, not getting what they want. Now you would expect such anger and wrath to show up in that person's life as physical violence, right? And that's often how we picture it. That's in fact what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, that that, um, that murderous heart is actually an angry heart. But Paul's purpose here is to show us that that idolatrous, deep-seated anger from which wrath springs often shows itself up in our lives in a lot more subtle ways than killing somebody. It shows up not often with our hands and our actions, but with our mouths. That idolatrous anger and wrath often shows itself up by taking the form, he says next, of malice. That's kakia in the Greek. It's a general term that describes having a malicious will, a desire to cause hurt or harm to others. So I want you to notice the path that Paul is taking us on this morning. If you do not worship Christ above all and make Him preeminent over your desires, over your thoughts and ambitions, you begin to worship rather than Christ. You begin to worship yourself and what you want and what you desire. And because you live in a world that's newsflash centered on God and not you and your desires, right? Those idolatrous wants and desires are not going to be met. And when they're not met, you're going to get what? frustrated, irritated, disgusted. And when people refuse to worship and live according to the idol of your expectations and your desires, you will get angry. That selfish anger builds up and will eventually erupt out of your heart over sometimes the smallest provocations, expressing itself through hateful, malicious thoughts and desires. That idolatrous anger starts in the heart. It moves to the mind. And eventually it shows itself where? In the mouth. For out of the heart, what speaks? The mouth. So what does idolatrous anger look like when it's coming out of the mouth? Paul says first, it looks like slander. What does that mean? That is evil speaking, or more literally, speaking evil of someone else. That's slander. Speaking evil of someone else. Now this can be very general slander. Based on very general anger, right? I mean, if you're frustrated and angry at nearly everyone in life around you, then you will slander and you will speak evil of nearly everyone around you also. You see this when driving, right? Where's your turn signal? Wow, what an idiot! Slander. Speaking evil. Where does that come from? From my circumstances. Nope. It comes from hidden anger and idolatry of your heart. You see this in social circles and social cliques, like in high schoolers, right? Look at what she's wearing. Oh my word, what a weirdo, right? Slander. Speaking evil. Where's that come from? 
It comes from hidden anger and idolatry in the heart. You see this in racism. Look at that ethnic person. Probably an illegal. Or, oh, we're hiring those ethnic people to do the job? I thought we wanted the job to be done well. Or, I don't need to consider your opinion. You're just speaking from your ethnic privilege. What is that? Slander. Speaking evil. Where does it come from? Hidden anger and idolatry of the heart. General anger leads to general slander. But specific anger leads to specific slander also. And I think that's primarily what Paul is focusing on here. When Paul is talking about slander and speaking evil of someone, he's primarily talking about speaking in a negative way about another person's character or motivation. So, for example, if someone does not act according to or live up to the idol of your own personal wants and desires, what happens? You get angry. And that heart anger flows out of your mouth by you speaking evil of that person's character or by ascribing to that person evil motivations. I'll try to give some general examples, right? So, they let me down and they disappointed me over here. I'm going to tell others they betrayed me. Don't trust them. They don't do what I want them to do over here. I'm going to tell others they're arrogant, rebellious, controlling. Don't trust them. What is that? Slander. Speaking evil. Where does that come from? Hidden anger and idolatry in the heart. Brothers and sisters, we do this all the time. In way more subtle ways than even I've mentioned this morning. Can you believe so-and-so? Why do you think they do that? I think it's because of this. And remember when they did that? Wow. They've got a problem. And then we make it spiritual. Let's pray for them. What is that? Slander. Speaking evil. Hidden anger and idolatry of the heart. Out of the idolatrous anger and bitterness of our hearts towards someone who's not worshiping the idol of our own desires and ambitions, we speak evil of a person's character and ascribe to them evil motivations. We must put that all the way. As James 3.9 says, with it, that is with our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. We must put it all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That that means filthy, rotten, disgraceful speech. Now that could mean describing a filthy mouth, right? One full of slurs and innuendos like what, what people might call toilet talk or gutter speech or inappropriate humor. We as children of light, of course, must put all those things away. But obscene talk, right? Filthy, rotten, 
degrading, disgraceful speech can simply mean speech that is devoid of grace. As Paul says over in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting, that is degrading talk, come out of your mouths, but only as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may impart grace to those who hear. Or as Paul says later in chapter 4, verse 6 of Colossians, let your speech always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer each person. Remember the phrase, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? Well, that's not biblical. But what is biblical is this. If you can't speak the truth in love, don't speak at all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, all things, all things must be done for building up. Or as Romans 14, 19 says, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of others. Or how about this one? 1 Peter 2, 17, live as people who are free, as servants of God, honoring everyone. Does your speech build others up in the minds of others or tear people down? Conversation that tears another person down either, by their, either to their own face or before the faces of others is a sin that we as followers of Christ must put away. It is a sin that springs from our own heart of hateful and harmful intentions because the person would not worship and fulfill our own expectations and desires. See, all of this comes down to the sin of idolatry and to the issue of worship. Who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Christ above all? Or your own desires, your own thoughts, and your own ambitions? After receiving Christ Jesus as Lord... Are you so walking in Him? Who's seated on the throne of your heart? Is it the Savior or is it yourself? Paul's showing us here that you can know the answer to that question by five, looking at your life, and by verse eight, by looking at your speech and your relationships. What is it characterized by? Is it a speech that builds others up or is it a speech that is tearing others down? Who are you worshiping? Beloved, do you see how intensely practical the message of Colossians is? Christ above all is not just a theological position, nor is it simply a doctrinal declaration. It is the key to the entire Christian life. It is the solution to dealing with every single issue of your heart and life. Is Christ above all? If you strive with all the resources that are yours in Christ to keep Jesus Christ above all in your affections, in your thoughts, and in your ambitions, then you will stand ready in Christ to do battle, not only with false teachers outwardly as we've seen earlier in Colossians, but to deal and to do battle with sinful affections that dwell inwardly. Christ above all is the Christian life. I was tempted to keep on going this morning, but beloved, this is not just supposed to fill our minds. This is supposed to change my heart and yours. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene, degrading talk. Do you see yourself here in this list? I know I do. Rather than showing honor to everyone, how easily do we dishonor and judge another man's servant, as Romans 14.4 says. Man, that negative, critical, slanderous speech comes from somewhere. It comes from our heart. As Jesus teaches in Matthew 5.21-22, the, the heart that murders another is the same heart that insults his brother. And it's the same heart that turns to someone and says, You fool. Both slaying and slander come from the same heart. A heart of anger, wrath, and malice. A heart of idolatry. We must put them all away. We must put to death sinful disgust towards those around us. There is no place for it for those who are in Christ. It belongs to our former way of life. As Titus 3 3 through 4 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to, listen to this, does this sound familiar? Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So now we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene, degrading talk. Let me ask you a question. Application time. Who are you slandering and speaking evil of? Either to their face or to the face of others. I'm not asking if, notice. I'm asking who you are doing this to. Is it your spouse that you're speaking evil of? Either their face or to the others? Is it your siblings? Your parents? Is it your co-workers or your boss that you're speaking evil of? Is it your teachers? Is it your fellow church members? Is it your elected representatives? You tell me the people you're slandering and speaking evil of, and I'll show you the area of your life that you still need to turn over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because all slander comes from idolatry. From trying to wrest control away from Christ's Lordship. We must put that to death if Christ is to be above all here in this place. So in order to put feet to the truth, I, wanna, I want you to do three things. Here's your homework, right? You all loved it last time, so here we go. I want you to do three things. First, write down these three questions and answer them this week. First, who are you slandering and speaking evil of, as I already asked? Who or what do you complain about the most, if that helps you? Create a list. Might be a rather long one. Second, how is this reflecting a lack of trust and submission to the authority of Jesus Christ? Answer that question. 
And then third, what would it look like for me to turn over this area of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? How would it change my life? How would it change my speech? I want you to answer those three questions. Second, after answering that, I want you to pray. Because this is not an intellectual exercise. I want you to pray for God to forgive you and to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. As 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then third, I want you to share those answers with the spiritual helpers that God has given you in life. Share them with your parents. Share them with your spouse. Share them with your shepherding elder so that they can pray for you in all of those ways as well. So I want you to answer those three questions, pray about those answers, and then share them with those who are the spiritual helps that God has given you. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death sinful disgust towards those around you. For in these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That in all things... Christ might be preeminent. We'll look at the last point next week, and it is a good one, but for now, this is Colossians 3.8, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He appears. Let's be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for how Your Word cuts. Father, I thank You for doing heart surgery this morning. Thank You for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. We thank You that we are forgiven of all of our sins. The sins that are so obvious to see and the sins that take the blade of Your Word to expose. We thank You so much that in Christ there is victory for even these. And so, Father, we pray that we would in faith grab hold of that victory and that this week we would do battle for the throne of our hearts that Christ might reign supreme above all so that the world would see the life of Christ in how we honor everyone and build each other up to the glory of God the Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.